So this morning, we're continuing our kind of series through Ephesians. So if you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians 3, uh, we're going to pick up from where Kim left off last week, last Sunday morning. So Ephesians 3 and verse 14, I think the words will appear up on the screen as well. So here we're kind of right in the heart of this particular uh, letter from Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus, and I think it was also a circular letter that went to several churches. Uh, Ephesians is probably one of the most encouraging books in the Bible you can read um, in terms of our identity, who we are in God, who we are in Christ, and the riches of our inheritance that God's given us. Um, and for me, we kind of come to the high watermark in the book. Uh, Paul's, one of Paul's most famous prayers uh, for uh, the saints. If I was to pick my favorite passage in the Bible, this would be pretty close, uh, if not right at the top. So thanks, David, for uh, putting me on this week. Um, so let's pick it up. So chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So this is Paul's prayer uh, for the saints in Ephesus uh, and for all the saints Uh, This reveals something of Paul's heart and his ambition for the church and for everyone who's part of the church. And he begins by saying that he's kneeling before the Father in heaven from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I don't know if you uh, have picked this up, but names are important, particularly in Scripture uh, and in the Old Testament and the New Uh, Because a name signifies identity. It signifies something about you. And as I was reading this, I was just struck by the fact that it says every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father. Derives its identity. Derives its kind of its being from him. And it just reminded me that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is the Father of all. He's the Father of everybody. That everyone, every person in heaven and on earth was created by him and made by him. And even those that don't know him yet are actually his children as well. And they bear something of his DNA. I think it's fair to say, I think it's right to say that everyone is a child of God. Not in the sense that Paul uses it in the New Testament. It doesn't mean everybody's born again. It doesn't mean everybody knows him. It doesn't mean everybody's got the spirit living within them yet. 
But in the sense that he made them and that he's their father and that they kind of have a homing beacon inside them to come back home. A bit like the prodigal son. He never stopped being a son just because he went away from his father. And I think it's just important as we're interacting with people in the world that we remember actually God made them just as he made us. And actually we see something of his character in them, even though they may not know him yet. You know, we see his creativity. We see flashes of kindness and love, even from people that haven't had that relationship restored yet. And actually I just think it, it, in terms of just our mindset, our worldview, I think that helps to shape us that actually they're his children too. They just need the relationship to be restored uh, with him. So everyone, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father. Paul then goes on to pray and he says this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of our Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, every believer, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So at the heart of Paul's prayer here is that Paul wants us, every single one of us, to be rooted and established in the love of God, in the love of the Father. When I read this, it reminded me of something Jesus taught uh, in John 15. There's the famous passage where Jesus teaches on the vine and the branches. And he basically is he's kind of saying to his disciples, abide in me, abide in me, remain in me, abide in my love, remain in my love. And you will bear much fruit. You know, Paul's prayer here is very similar to that. He's saying, I want you to be rooted and established in the love of God. And we go on to look at some of the outworkings of that in a moment. But I just wanted to ask you the question, what are you rooted in? What are you rooted in? We talk a lot here about culture. You'll hear us talk a lot about culture. Because we think it's important. It's a bit like the air you breathe. You can't see it, but it affects everything. And creating a kingdom culture is what we're trying to do here. Creating a healthy culture, a life-giving culture, where we can fulfill all that God has for us and enjoy healthy relationships with him and with those around us. And culture here is a bit like the, the soil that a plant is planted in. Okay, Paul here is kind of using the imagery of a a plant. Be rooted and established in the love of God. It's a bit like the soil that, you know, say an apple tree grows in. Clearly the soil and what's in that soil, the quality of that soil is going to have a massive impact on that fruit tree. It's going to have a massive impact on how well it grows 
and the quality and kind of fruit that it produces. Because the plant will absorb what's in the soil. So what's in your soil? What's in your soil? What do I mean by your soil? I guess I'm talking here metaphorically, but about, you know, your heart. Paul's talking here about our inner being, that we might have revelation and be strengthened in our inner being to know the love of God. So what's in your heart and mind? Your perception of God. Your perception of yourself. How you treat yourself and those around you. Is it a loving environment? Are you rooted and established in love? What, in terms of what's going on in your kind of inner world, that self-talk that goes on within us, is it loving? Is it rooted and established in love? Would you say about yourself, your family, that there's a culture of love? That the soil that you're rooted in is love? Is it freedom? Is it full of joy? Is it peaceful? Or is it harsh? Is the way you view yourself, the way you think God views you, is that harsh? Do you not value yourself highly? Is it critical? Is it controlling? Is it anxious and fearful? Now, I don't want us to kind of just focus inward, but I think it's important that we are aware of the culture that we live in, the culture that we, we create. What, what soil are we planted in? Because Paul here is encouraging us, the exhortation is, get rooted and established in love. Let the culture that you're in, that you're living in, let it be a culture of love as well as other things. So what does a culture of love look like? I'm going to get you to come up with some ideas here. What, what does a culture of love look like? How would you know if you had a culture of love inside you or around you? What does a culture of love look like? This church. This church. That's a good answer. But what are the characteristics of this church that you would say show that there's a culture of love? Care for each other? Yeah. Shout it out. Give freely. freely. To generosity. Freedom. Freedom. Sorry. Welcoming. Total acceptance. So these are some of the things that you can see characteristics of a culture of love another good place to look to start if you're wondering well what does a culture of love look like how do i know if i if i am rooted and established in love 1 corinthians 13 is a good place to start that tells us what love is it's patient are you patient with yourself do you think god's patient with you Kindness? Are you kind to yourself? Are you kind to other people? Do you think God is kind to you? 
is not boastful or proud. It blesses others and gives generously. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Inwardly, do you keep record of your wrongs? Do you keep a record of the things you haven't done right? Because that would be a sign that actually there's something that needs to be plucked out in order to create, cultivate a culture of love. There's no envy or jealousy. It's faithful. It trusts. It's truthful. It protects. It's hopeful. And it perseveres. So there's some of the characteristics, some of the signs, as well as other things that were mentioned here, that actually you've got a culture of love. You're rooted and established in love. I think another thing that is crucial is love values. Do you value yourself? Do you value those around you? Do you think that God values you? Again, that's a sign. That would be a, a sign. Actually, that's part of a culture of love that we need to cultivate within us. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, he prays that we may have power to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. So I think this love that we were singing about, that Paul's talking about and describing here, this comes, knowledge of this love comes through revelation. Okay? We need power to grasp this. This is beyond what we can imagine. This is beyond our comprehension. And actually, it's something that comes by revelation through the Holy Spirit. So we need to be asking God regularly for revelation. Show me how much you love me. Show me how much you love me. And I think it's something that we'll never exhaust. And he goes on to say that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is an interesting one. It often gets me. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, again, I think, I think we're able to grasp things in our spirit and in our heart that go beyond what our minds can even comprehend. And again, I think it comes back to this revelation point that actually it's the spirit that reveals this to us. It's the spirit that reveals it in our inner being. And the word that Paul uses here for know, that we would know this love, it's talking about an intimate experiential knowledge. Okay? This is not just something you read about in a textbook. This is something that God wants us to experience. This is something that God wants us to know intimately and consistently in our lives. And then Paul makes a very, an amazing statement. He's praying that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And he says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, that is incredible. That is incredible. Who here wants to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Okay, so Paul's giving us a key here. Okay, how do we get filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? We get rooted and established in his love. And we get revelation after revelation after revelation of his love for us. That's how, it's one of the keys, it's one of the ways that we get filled to the measure 
of all the fullness of God. You know, if we want to contain his fullness and we want to display his fullness to those around us, we need to be rooted in love. And all we do comes out of that place of being loved and knowing that we're loved. Even Jesus had that. We see it at his baptism where the father says over the son, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Everything Jesus did came out of that place of knowing that he was loved. I'm sure that wasn't the first time that Jesus had heard that. I'm sure that wasn't the first time that he had a revelation of that. It makes a massive difference doing things from a place of love rather than doing things for love. It makes, it makes the world of difference. If you're doing things from a place of knowing that you're loved, it's life-giving and it refreshes you even though it might be challenging. If you're doing things for love, it can be soul-destroying and it will probably wear you out. So another reason to get rooted and established in love. Know that you're loved. Receive and experience his love regularly. And then give out from that place of love. One of the keys I found in my life, there was a season I went through where I would kind of experience God and experience his presence, experience his love. But then a short while later, kind of just feel the same again. And kind of wonder what, what just happened Sometimes it was only a few minutes later, I'd be sat there thinking, you know, it felt good at the time, but it feels like it's gone already. You know, it could feel empty having experienced and encountered God. And God, I was asking God about this and he said to me that actually it's important that as he's pouring things into us, We need to have a container that's able to retain and capture the things that he's pouring into us. And he showed me that instead of, instead of that, what was going on inside of me was more like this. Would you mind popping up the first image, Dave? It was more like that. If you can't see it, it's a colander. He was pouring in. And it was leaking out. I just want to say here, we talk a lot about leaking. And I think there's good leaking and bad leaking. (laughs) Okay? Good leaking is where we're full and we overflow. Okay? Bad leaking is it comes in and goes straight out. And it never really affects us. It never really stays. And never become, we never become rooted and established in the truth that God's been revealing to us or pouring into us. And God began to show me actually, in some ways it didn't matter how much he poured in, if I wasn't able to receive that, it would just run away again. And the holes in the calendar are lies that I was believing, that meant that I struggled to hold on to and to receive what God was giving me. Instead of the colander, the thing 
God wants us to be like is more like this next image. Okay? He wants us to be more like this lake in Austria. Okay? He's pouring in. We're getting filled up. And then we're giving out. It's not just running away and draining away from us. So one of the big lies God showed me that I was believing was that I didn't actually love and value myself. And you know, if you don't love and value yourself, it's very difficult to receive the love that other people or that God is giving to you. It's very difficult to hold on to it. I'm just a simple example. If someone pays you a compliment and says, David, you're amazing. Are you able to receive that? Or do you shrug it off? Do you dismiss it? Do you say, oh, that's not true. Or if someone gives you a gift, say someone pays for a meal, that you go out for a meal and someone, someone pays. Can you receive that without feeling guilty? Are you able to just receive, thank you, the love that's being expressed, the kindness that's being expressed? Or do you feel you, you kind of need to pay them? You need to, you don't really deserve it or you feel guilty about it. As I say, if we don't love and value ourselves, it's very difficult to hold on to, to retain, to receive the love that God is pouring into us and that other people pour into us as well. So how do you plug the holes? How do you plug the holes? If you've got a colander, how do you turn it into a lake? How do you plug the holes? Well, I think it's one of the keys for me. um, In some ways, it's very similar to what they do in Sozo. We've got a fantastic Sozo team here. And I think there there are times when actually it's really helpful to have other people pray with you. But there's also things in there that we can do ourselves. And... There's kind of a process that I often do with myself when I, when I realize that stuff is coming in and leaking out or not as it should be. And I just want to show you that now. So just on this next side, it's just kind of, how do you plug the holes? How do you change the lies and get rid of the lies that are just letting it leak out? I think this is something God's shown me. And, and as I say, very similar to what they would do in Sozo. Firstly, I found it helpful. Firstly, you identify what the lie is. And this is something you you can do with Holy Spirit. Asking him, you know, what are are the lies that I'm believing? I'm experiencing you. I'm experiencing this love from other people, but it's just not sticking. Why is that? And ask him to show you. And he will. I've had many dreams where God's shown me things. Having asked him, what, what is it that I'm believing? Where's that come from? And I think that, that sometimes can be a helpful second question I've found. You don't always need to go there, but sometimes I've found it helpful to understand, to ask God, where does that lie come from? And sometimes, if for me, if there's been a particularly strong experience that's caused that, 
a particularly difficult experience or experiences, or if it's been reinforced over a long period of time, it may be that there's pain and hurt and anger that you need to express around that as well. And forgiveness in terms of where those lies have come from. If, if actually other people have been part of the process of teaching you that you weren't valuable, that you weren't, you're not lovable. Actually, it's important to forgive those people and to release them. And then repentance. We repent. We change the way we think and we dwell on the truth. Now, as I say, sometimes you may not need to do all of those steps. Sometimes you may. Sometimes it might be something relatively straightforward and God shows you what it is. You recognize it, you repent and you move on. Other times there might be pain, a process of pain and forgiveness that you would need to do as part of that as well. That's certainly what I've found. So let's just take an example. So if if you're believing the lie, if if you recognize the lie that actually I'm not valuable and you don't value yourself, you might want to ask Holy Spirit, where does that come from? Why do I believe that about myself? You might need to express the hurt and pain associated with that and forgive anyone that's been part of the process of teaching that to you. And then the best bit in the process, we repent, we change the way we think, and we dwell on the truth. One of the helpful ways I've found of doing that, particularly if there's been a, a strong experience that I've, that I've had that's taught me something, is to kind of get with God and imagine how he would have dealt with me in that situation. Imagine how he would have responded. Imagine what he would have said. Imagine what he would have done. And ask him to show you. I found that a very powerful way of God being able to reinforce truth and kind of redeem situations and redeem experiences. So what's the truth to the lie that you're not valuable or lovable? Well, the truth is that God greatly values you, each one of you. He always has and he always will. And I just want to address something that I think can come across in church circles. Your value, I believe your value does not come from you believing in Christ. Your value does not come from believing in Christ. You were already valuable before that. You were already valuable before that. He values you because he made you. He values you because he made you. And we can see that because he paid the highest price for us, even when we were far from him. He wanted us back. You were worth it. So as I say, Paul's prayer here is that we would be rooted and established in the love of God. So I just encourage you to just think, what am I rooted in? Is it loving? Is it full of kindness? Is it full of grace? Is it full of freedom? And to the extent you find that it's not, 
you can, you can, there's some tools here, hopefully, that you can use to identify lies, to get free, and to start dwelling on and thinking on the truth. And I think what this will enable us to do and enable you to do is to contain, to retain the love that God is pouring into us. It's not that we hold on to it, but that we're full so that we can overflow. So this is about how you get full. Okay? So just to finish, I'd like you all to just stand. And I want you to turn to someone next to you. I'd like everyone to be faced by someone. So if if there's someone left out, perhaps getting to a three or something. And we're just going to finish with... We're just going to finish with a few declarations. So I just want you, as best you can, to kind of look at the people around you. And I want you to just say this after me. You are incredibly valuable. God created you and he loves you more than you can imagine. Ever since he created you, he has valued you. You are precious to him. You are worthy of love and honor. Your value can never be taken away. You were worth dying for. Okay, and now I want you to look ahead. You might want to close your eyes. And you're going to say the same about yourself. Okay? I am incredibly valuable. Father God created me and he loves me more than I can imagine. Since he created me, he has valued me. And I am precious to him. I am worthy of love and honor. My value can never be taken away. I was worth dying for. That's the truth. Now, if any of you, some of you may have found the second harder than the first. So I would just encourage you, just dwell on those things. Okay, it's sometimes easier to love other people than it can be to love ourselves. But we need to, we need to do both equally. So I just want to release over you now, just as we finish. I just release over each of you here a revelation of the love of God. I release over everyone here a revelation of God's love. That you would know the love that he has for you. And you would know how amazing it is and how valuable you are. And I also, I also release grace to just have breakthrough over lies that you may be believing or may have been believing about yourself. And I just, I just ask Holy Spirit to reveal those over the coming days to you and to release you from them as you recognize them and repent and begin to dwell on the truth that he says about you. Thank you, God.